Okay, let's open our Bibles then to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Roger asked me if I would speak for a little while and open up a passage, which I think generates a little bit of discussion afterwards. So, let's turn to 1 Samuel 30. Just going to read a few verses and then we'll jump into what I want to say. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Achinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God then David said to Abiath the priest Ahimelech's son please bring the ephod here to me and Abiath brought the ephod to David so David inquired of the Lord saying shall I pursue this troop shall I overtake them and he answered him pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Now I confess that's a rather strange sort of uh, reading to read to uh, an eclectic gathering of people on a Tuesday afternoon. Sorry, Monday, yeah. He was thinking of his finishing time. That's right. It gets even worse. But it's, it's what is found in verse 6 that I just want to say a few things about this afternoon. It, it literally reads, and David strengthened or encouraged himself in the Lord. And I want to speak about that, encouraging yourself in the Lord. Who, who doesn't get discouraged? Uh, and when you read the Bible with that kind of eye looking for discouraged people you find it right throughout scripture we know that Moses certainly got very discouraged and in the end he flipped and to be honest I'm amazed it took him so long to flip you know with all those people pestering him and wanting to kill him we know that Elijah certainly got very discouraged when the Israelites were in Babylon they were deeply discouraged uh, false prophets were saying you're only going to be here for a couple of years and Jeremiah wrote a letter and said don't believe them you're there for 70 you're not coming home uh, and, and they got very very discouraged we know that Jeremiah was deeply discouraged and to be honest even Job at times got, got very discouraged how about these interesting quotations I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to personally I've often passed through this dark valley 
So who's that? Well, it's a man who baptized 15,000 people. <laughs> I mean, that's Spurgeon saying, I feel absolutely wretched. Uh, and then here's a man called Jarrett. Jarrett was uh, minister of Westminster Chapel on one occasion. He said, you seem to imagine, speaking to his congregation, that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means. I'm often perfectly wretched, and everything appears most murky. This is a man preaching to 2,000 people, morning and evening. And then Andrew Boner. His brother is perhaps more famous because of his hymns, but Andrew Boner used to pastor at uh, Finiston Church in, in Finiston Road in, in Glasgow. The church has now gone. It's been turned into modern buildings. But uh, he was a pastor for 47 years. And at the end of 47 years, he said this, My ministry has appeared to me to be wanting in so many ways that I can only say in my ministry it has been incredibly inadequate. That's after 47 years. So not only do you find people discouraged within the word of God, I could depress you, I can hear you going on, but people who have spoke about how they've been very, very discouraged. Now, now the situation here is incredibly clear, isn't it? Here's David. It's quite bizarre, really. He was safer among the Philistines than among God's people. Uh, and if we're absolutely frank there have been times in our Christian lives <laughs> where we have felt safer with people in the world than kind of people in the church because there's no politics involved so the lady in, in my post office is a Hindu lady she's the sweetest lady I've probably ever met in terms of hello David, how are you, it's so nice to see you there's no politics and we have a nice little chat every day and uh, you know we've got some kebabs waiting for you <laughs> I, think, I don't eat kebabs but I'll take them anyway you know because I don't want to offend you but sometimes you feel safer in that kind of world then suddenly you, you step into the spiritual world and then you start facing all the politics of church life uh, and so here's David he found it easier for a period of time to live with the Philistines but this is a man who's killed Goliath who was the champion of the Philistines and what is astounding is that he lived with them for 16 months and you think to yourself how did he get away with that and not just him but also his men and then the Philistines thought it would be a good idea to go and attack the Israelites and here's a bit of a dilemma because David's an Israelite but anyway Achish thought it would be a good idea if David joined them and attacked the Israelites so when Achish and David joined the other Philistine leaders it's suddenly what's he doing here like, have you been in those kind of situations when a non-member comes to a church member's meeting and you've got to try and remove them? <laughs> have you been in those kind of situations? I, I had a man in my first church. Uh, he was an interesting man. He fought in the Spanish Civil War. He, he was a fascinating character. Uh, but he insisted in praying in German every time he prayed. And uh, I said, Ron, we're in Wales. I don't mind you praying in Welsh but please don't pray in German nobody understands what you're saying he said well the Lord understands it but I don't understand that is a congregation so please don't pray in German okay? so next Sunday first open prayer he's off in German <laughs> so I went to see Ron and said Ron you know, are you winding me up you know, this is getting pretty embarrassing you know, there's a full church people think you're an idiot you know, uh, it reflects badly on the church don't do it. If you do it again, I will physically remove you myself. 
He said, I don't, I don't believe you will. I said, I said, don't tempt me. So sure enough, next Sunday, we had open prayer. We had prayer in German. And uh, we just removed him. It was very difficult. It wrecked the Sunday. Wow. But it was kind of, what are you doing? What are you trying? I mean, you speak English. But anyway, the point is, here's David. He's with the Philistines. And it's kind of, how do we get rid of this man? Because he's not one of us. And in the end, they just said to him, it's, it's time you disappeared. And so David went back to Ziklag. You can imagine, really, that they were deeply disappointed, but at one level, that was part of God's providence. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, imagine David becoming the king of Israel and having the reputation of fighting against his own people. I mean, he would never have lived that down. As if, it's all right in being our king, but wait a minute, we remember a few years ago, he fought against us. And also, during this battle, King Saul was killed. And, and David could stand back and say, that had absolutely nothing to do with me. I didn't get rid of him to claim the throne. So it was a small mercy that, that he, was, he was sent away. When they arrived back at Ziklag, you can imagine the shock they had when all that they found was just a pile of ashes. All their possessions had been burnt, whatever they lived in had gone all that was in the ground was the, the hoof prints of, of their cattle and uh, wives, sons, daughters had gone and what is astounding is this David's men then turned on him and wanted to stone him and when you go through scripture there are occasions where sometimes that happens I call it uh, Premier League management motif if things are going bad in the club just just kill the manager you know get rid of him you know we've only come second in the league what a failure you are you better get another manager it happened to Moses having brought them out of Egypt you read in in the middle of the book of Numbers I think it's around 15 and 16 it says the people took up stones to stone him and had the glory of God not come down Moses would have died at the hands of the people he brought out of Egypt Mm. and here is David the greatest king that the nation was ever going to have and he's on the verge of being stoned to death by his own men I wonder how he felt about that with his world falling apart it says David had nothing else to do other than encourage himself in the Lord how can you get others to encourage you when they've got a brick in their hand of course they'll throw it in love <laughs> But, but you know, how can you turn to people like that who've got stones in their hands to kind of give you some encouragement when they want to kill you? So all that David could do was, was encourage himself in the Lord. And I want to speak about that, encouraging oneself in the Lord. But let me just say this from just personal experience and I try to be very honest and helpful with you. Sometimes there is a time to say enough is enough. I mean... Uh, if you are with people who've got stones in their hands sometimes it's time to say it's time to walk away mm. if, if all you want to do is throw stones let me reassure you I never intended to be a target so enough is enough I'm going to walk there's a time to do that and I don't think it's a sign of weakness second there's also a time to stand up and address issues and say put those stones down how dare you how dare you and I think we have biblical authority to do that on occasions but we've got to find out when is the right time 
And thirdly, there are times when God says, no, you have to stay. Get ready for a few bricks coming your way. But as they come, encourage yourself in me. Now, my understanding of encouraging yourself in the Lord is not kind of slapping your thigh, going hallelujah anyway. Mm. Not kind of cheap theology mm. that really, it distresses you. Being, uh, I, I was in school with a girl called Shirley. Her brother was in my class. He was a bit of a waster, to be honest. Came from a wretched family. Shirley was just, just a class below me. And uh, we crossed paths. Uh, when we were outside of school I really didn't know her in school but I knew of her and she knew of me and uh, she'd become a Christian mm. I mean uh, she was in a relationship had two children the chap threw her out she was at the end of her tether she got saved and uh, she's just died of, of throat cancer and it's been a very moving time in my life to be with a girl I was in school with and see her going into eternity I remember just saying to someone in the church, you know, going, how's your friend? Oh, she's not really good. They've, they can do nothing more now. It's just a matter of time. Don't worry, David. It's in the Lord's hands. You know, and those kind of things, I find like a brick around the back of your head going, well, you come to the hostage with me and say that. Mm. You know, those are very difficult situations to deal with. Uh, and therefore, this idea of encouraging yourself in the Lord, it's not such <coughs> just slapping your thigh and going, well, hallelujah, God's in control. It doesn't really matter. No, those things really affect us. Mm -hmm. They really affect us. So how do we, as people in the 21st century, you know, we don't find ourselves at Zik, like I've never been there in my life. <laughs> okay. Uh, how do we encourage ourselves in the Lord? Because we face different kind of situations, but we find those things that drain our encouragement. Uh, and there are six things, I just want to say this afternoon, if that's all right with you. And... Uh, could be a lot more, but six is sufficient to keep <laughs> us going. We have to learn, and, and let me just say, I haven't got this from a book, by the way. You know, there's so much you can get from books and internet. You know, there's plenty of seven books out there. This has been hammered out on the anvil of my walk with the Lord for 45 years. The first is this we must encourage ourselves in the Lord because of the Lord that we serve if you read the Psalms and see all that David has to say about the Lord it's quite unbelievable really he says the Lord is my life the Lord is my light the Lord is my salvation he says the Lord is my rock the Lord is my fortress the Lord is my shepherd the Lord is my deliverer the Lord is my hope there's a great theology of God that you can get from the Psalms from the pen of David and I love I love Psalm 23 I mean we all know you know the Lord is my shepherd and I often say when I do read this at funerals this psalm was written by a sheep <laughs> and what kind of look are you going who on earth is leading this funeral I said well for a man to say the Lord is my shepherd you've got to be a sheep and therefore you can only really understand this psalm if you're a sheep now are you a lost sheep or are you a found sheep? They are. It's a good funeral talk for you, are yeah. Okay. And so here's this sheep speaking about his shepherd, and here's a man in the dark speaking about the Lord being his light. Here's a man in an absolute hopeless situation, and he says, "The Lord is my hope." And this is the God that David encouraged himself in. Now we have to remind ourselves that David, not his fault, but was on the wrong side of Calvary. 
He didn't know half what we know. We now know that this God that he describes so eloquently in all his psalms then sent his son to be our saviour. And, and, and he died on the cross for us. He rose again from the dead for us. And, and the Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And he's coming again for us. And, and this is the God that we have to encourage ourselves in. I don't know if you kind of read other religions. I try and do it as a pastor so that you know I look as if I'm living in the real world. You know what I mean? It's interesting to read the Quran. So that when you do meet a Muslim, they say, I've read your book. It's very interesting. You know, and when you read the Quran, there's no mention of God being Father or Allah being Father. No mention of, of, of the love of Allah. I just read of a very sort of capricious, sort of twisted kind of being and thinking, thank God I haven't got to encourage myself in Allah. And then I don't about you, but Buddha, you know, I mean, he has that kind of pot belly. <laughs> you know, you think, go for a walk, man. Who <laughs> cares? <laughs> but, but you kind of, I just think, I mean, I just get quite repulsed when I see those kind of things, if I'm very honest. And I think, why do I want to put those in their garden? Mm. <laughs> and that is some people's God. Mm. And then you come to sort of Hinduism, well, which God do you want to encourage yourself in? Because there's millions of them. And I find it so refreshing that, that we have a God that we can encourage ourselves in because he is the only God and when you think about him you know, he's a God of grace have you ever thought about this when, when Joseph okay, had been badly treated by his brothers he is desperate in spite of their trimming of him to reveal himself to them to say I am Joseph your brother and we believe that Joseph is a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ without any doubt at all and I live by the principle that I have a God who is desperate in spite of the way that I treat him to reveal himself to me said David I am your God and I am for you we have a God of grace we, we have a God of hope I mean what is more hopeful than the resurrection than, than a God who says to us don't be troubled in my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you what hope if you don't believe that's hopeful, you go to a humanist funeral. In fact, you go to the local crematorium, you can do it, and just sit on the back row for the day. You'll come away so depressed, thinking, and this is the hope of the world? And also the God that we worship is, is a God of integrity. So David encouraged himself in the Lord, the same Lord that we have, but we know a lot more about him because of, because of Calvary and because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we have to encourage ourselves in him. It's, it's our only hope. Mm. But secondly, because <coughs> of what others have done in the past. That's what others have done. They have encouraged themselves in the Lord. There's a great verse in Isaiah 49, verse 4. They are the words of the Messiah. You know that in Isaiah, there were four servant songs. You know, you got those classic songs. The most famous, of course, being Isaiah 53. But there were three songs before that. Uh, and in Isaiah 49 which is the, the second servant song the third one is Isaiah 50 the first one is Isaiah 42 they are the words of the Messiah before he came listen to these words in the mouth of the Messiah I have laboured in vain I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work is with my God 
Now, if those are the words of the Messiah, it's kind of, wow. I mean, this is, this is the very Messiah who says, morning by morning, I mean, my father wakens me and I talk to him. And here is the Lord Jesus, to my understanding, from a human point of view, saying, it looks like I've labored in vain. And that almost sounds sort of rather blasphemous. Was going, Hang on, he's God. But, but also he's human as well. And how do you think he felt when, when he was slandered? Do you think he just kind of took it on the chin and said, well, I knew I was coming for this. How do you think he felt when people said he was demon-possessed? How would you feel if someone said, Pastor... I think you demon possessed. What? <laughs> so, so he was slammed. He was accused of being demon possessed. Uh, people refused to believe in his words. And then, what about his disciples? You know what I mean? Wouldn't they make you pull your hair out? <laughs> you know. And you have this. You know. How long have I been with you, and still you don't understand? You know, I've told you again and again and again. And, and then when it comes to the crunch they all clear off and he's left there all in his no, no, he knew he was coming for that but if he was fully human do you not think he felt that? of course he felt it so what did he say? I, I, I feel I've laboured in vain but I've told my father and in truth or not do we not sometimes feel exactly the same sometimes we think, you know, like Andrew boner you kind of look back and think you know you boast you've made three steps forward but in reality two have stepped back and so it's just one you know you kind of look and think humanly speaking Lord it looks like I've labored in vain but all I can do is just leave it with you there's that great statement in Hebrews 11:35 onwards it says they looked to the Lord and held on to the promises of God and then in relation to Moses, enduring as seeing him who is invisible. And think of the discouragement the Apostle Paul had. You mean, we can read that great passage, can't we, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 6 and also in 2 Corinthians 11, you know, where, where he mentions all the things that he has to put up with. And then he says, and on top of that, the burden of the churches. Mm. We're going, what? For us, that's the top. <laughs> but he mentions all these things and the kind of the pressure of the church you know, and, and you, you think of how Paul was treated in Corinth I mean what they said about him was pretty I don't know if someone said that to me I think I'd be crushed when I think of what people said to the Apostle Paul you know he's alright writing these really strong letters but when he comes here he's weak it's quite pathetic to be honest in fact we think he's a sham apostle uh, and here's Paul he was perpetually being pounded by people inside the church having birthed those churches how did he keep going he encouraged himself in the Lord and church history where do we start well I better not start <laughs> but just even things like C.T. Studd you would go wow great missionary was C.T. Studd I mean C.T. Studd had more trouble from his board back home than he had with people he was trying to reach out to in Africa mm -hmm. And then they kept sending people to him who were totally ineffective. And in the end, he just said to them, unless you send people onto the mission field who know something of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I don't want them. So in the end, he's almost kind of freelance thinking, this is a nightmare. You know, Here I am trying to serve the Lord, and here are people back in England telling me what I can do and what I can't do. You want to come out here and live it? 
So what could he do in the middle of Africa? He could do nothing but sort of encourage himself in the Lord. And then folks say, oh, C.T. Still was a bit of a funny old bloke. Well, maybe the church turned him into that kind of bloke because he just couldn't hack any more mm-hmm. of this negativity being pumped <coughs> into his life. I, I'm sure you know the story of Henry Morrison. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not. If it is apocryphal, it should be true. <laughs> but I, 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 love, I love the story, and, and I often go to it, where Henry Morrison and his wife had been in Africa for 40 years as missionaries. Uh, and after 40 years, they were coming home. And uh, they didn't know they were on the same boat as Teddy Roosevelt, who'd been to Africa shooting big game. Mm. So when they landed in New York... There was a great crowd of people there, and because they hadn't seen the president, Henry Morrison thought, "These were," he said, "Look, this is for us. <laughs> you know, we're, we're coming home after 40 years of serving the Lord." And they, then they realised it was for the president. I mean, the band was there, the red carpet, and uh, there was nobody there after 40 years. So they kind of got off the boat, and they were spending a night in New York before they were going on to their home state. Uh, and he said to his wife in the evening, "You know." I'm really disappointed after 40 years. I'd have thought at least one person for the church would have come and said, Welcome back, Henry. Uh, and his wife said, Henry, we're not home yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I often remind myself, I say, I, I, don't, think, I don't think that's apocryphal. I'm sure I've seen that in my Bible somewhere that's going. <laughs> but, you mean, I have to remind myself, you know, I think, Yeah, I'm not home yet. David, you're not home yet. And when you get home, then. Let the Lord decide whether he's been faithful or not. So we must encourage ourselves in the Lord. Why? Because of the Lord that we have. But secondly, this is what others have done. I mean, that's what the Lord Jesus did. That's what the Apostle Paul did. That's what people have done right throughout church history. But thirdly, we must encourage ourselves in the Lord because with some, it's a long time coming. Meaning, if we're relying on other people encouraging us, we'd never be encouraged. <laughs> The text says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He did the encouraging himself. When I used to live down in Wiltshire, we used to live not far from Slad Valley, famous for uh, Laurie Lee and uh, cider with roses and that kind of stuff. When his daughter was born, he was cocker hoop and uh, he wrote The Firstborn. So Joe, when your firstborn comes along I want to see a book coming out okay? <laughs> and uh, he, he wrote all his dreams and aspirations for his daughter and he said when my daughter grows up I want her to be associated with societies for the propagation of and the promotion of rather than societies for the abolition of and the prevention of <laughs> meaning I want her to be a positive girl not a negative girl now, I don't know why, but s- some people seem to be born under a minus sign uh, and feel it's their God-given ministry to pass on this negativity to you. And uh, I've, I've been in Christian work for 38 years. Back in 1981, I left Blackburn and went down to Cardiff to train for the ministry and then uh, lived in Llantrisant for 12 months the hole with the mint in <laughs> and, uh, and then went into ministry so I haven't stopped for 38 years 
Okay, most most Sundays, apart from when I'm on a holiday, I preached. Never had a sabbatical in 38 years. Wouldn't even know how to spell one. <laughs> so I've just been going for 38 years. If I had to summarize one word, put one word to summarize my 38 years, okay, of serving the Lord, I would say it's the word conflict. I uh, my, my 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 first church. It was quite interesting, really. Uh, I had a deacon who was a personal friend of Dr. Lloyd Jones. Uh, Lloyd Jones was dead when I got there, of course, <laughs> but uh, you didn't think he was dead. <laughs> you know, it was Lloyd Jones said this and Lloyd Jones said that, and uh, fascinating man. In fact, when I went to this man's house for lunch once, uh, he actually showed me the bed where Lloyd Jones slept when he came. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very difficult sort of, to raise enthusiasm when a man is waxing eloquent about this bed. Uh, I had to take his word for it because there was no plaque there. (laughs) So I I was inducted into the ministry on the Saturday and and on the Sunday I preached. It was my first Sunday. And uh, my wife was there. We'd only only been married 12 months. And my parents were there. My younger brother and sister had come down from Lancashire. So uh, I preached my heart out. Uh, I can still see it now. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. The Lord can save by many or by few. So my mum and dad went home with my brother and sister and, my, and Jane, my wife, to kind of get dinner sorted. And I was left alone with this deacon. This is, this, is, this is my first Sunday kind of in the ministry. So he said to me, uh, David, I just want an open relationship with you. <coughs> If you ever say anything that I don't agree with, I will tell you. <laughs> What's the guy talking about? Is that the first thing he said to me? I just something. He kept his word. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a pain in my neck. You know, and, and anything, you know. He took me on one side once and he said, uh, David, you made the gospel too wide tonight. So what do you mean by that? Too wide. <laughs> But the Lord has a wonderful sense of humour. He had three sons, and uh, one of them got converted under my preaching, which was a bit tricky for him. So he rang me on the Monday morning and said, I've got some good news, but we'll temper it. (laughs) So he said, uh, Andrew got converted last night through your preaching, but we don't know if it's real. (laughs) So we'll watch him. And then I was kind of sat at home, and, and you know, I'm in my mid twenties, with with a new wife who comes from a non-Christian background, and it's kind of David. Is this is this Christianity? Uh, Sorry, Jane, it is. Oh, so the letterbox rattled, and it was a pile of CDs from his wife, of of Al Martin preaching, <laughs> and it said, uh, "Dear Pastor." We thought you'd like to hear some decent preaching to help you preach better. Oh, and uh, you kind of think, what are you trying to do to me? My first Sunday in, in my first church, the first Sunday of university term, because it was in Swansea, the door opened at 5 to 11 and 50 students walked in. It swamped the What on earth is going on here? Uh, and and for for ten years we had students coming in their droves, 
every every term the baptistry was open because people were getting converted people being baptized and I kind of look back and uh, at least five of those people that I know of now are either in the ministry or in full-time Christian work we had a lady in the prayer meeting while all this was going on and then after the Mus after all the students came Muslims started coming again and converted so I got all these students got all these Muslims church teas on a Sunday were wonderful you mean these all these Muslims started bringing all this kind of Middle Eastern food <laughs> into this Welsh chapel. Food in the way, you know, garlic and bread and <laughs> kebabs and rice. Some of them really loved it, you know. Uh, so we had a prayer meeting, and we used to meet for prayer every Wednesday, after, and Wednesday evening. And a lady, I can see her now, she was sat to my right, and she broke down in tears and said, Lord, when we asked you to prosper this church, we did not want Muslims or students. Oh, yes. Within weeks of saying that, she was dead. Mm-hmm. And that sobered the church. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think people being saved, folk are getting baptized, Muslims are coming in. Why is it you keep pouring in negativity? And then I went to my second church in Swindon, and uh, I can see myself now preaching a four part series on my first two Sundays there first sermon was the foolishness of God and in the evening the wisdom of God then the following Sunday morning the foolishness of man and the wisdom of man so I preached on the foolishness of God uh, so a lady came to me first, first Sunday a lady came to me and said to me uh, you didn't mention the resurrection I said well it's not in the text she said but you didn't mention it I said well it's not in the text I, I listed a whole list of things I didn't mention I said but we'll come to those in time yeah but you didn't mention the resurrection I said, I'm really sorry. You kind of walk home thinking, what have I come to? And then the kind of the second week, a woman came to me and said, uh, can I ask what your opinions of counselling are because I'm a professional counsellor. <laughs> and so rightly or wrongly said, well, I'm not a great believer in counselling to be honest. Oh, I can see we're not going to get on then. And she was right. <laughs> And you know, I could kind of go on like this and uh, give you sort of uh, interesting stories that will you'll find quite fascinating. The first book ever preached through in the Bible was uh, Amos. I just take scripture, go through it, and been doing that for the last 35 years. So the first one was the book of Amos. So I announced I was going to go through Amos. A lady came to me and said, "Why Amos?" <laughs> I said, "That's right." Yeah. I said, "Why not?" I said, "It could have been Revelation." What's up with Amos? Never heard anyone preach on Amos before. I said, well, here's your chance then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of, I just don't understand the mindset of people. Mm. And I have to say that I've lived in that environment for, for 35 years. Not deliberately, but you kind of stand up to speak the truth and just simply explain what God says in his word. And folk think it's a God-given duty to whack you around the back of the head with a six by four. And I just don't understand the mentality of people. And uh, even in my present church, in my first church meeting, I had people walking out and arguing as to why I wouldn't endorse the Women's World Day of Prayer and go to a meeting with a Roman Catholic priest. But this is an evangelical church thinking, do you not understand the gospel? And here's David, you know, and to be honest, I've opened my heart and been very honest, and that's kind of the tip of the iceberg. 
but I think you've probably been in similar situations and you say Lord if I had to rely on those people to encourage myself I would have died years ago I must learn to encourage myself in the Lord Amen. I have to and, and at the end of the day I've come to realize too that, that people's negativity is not my problem it's their problem and I say I refuse to take your negativity on board and absorb it into my being that is your problem it's not my problem doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to you otherwise you're absorbing everyone's negativity and it rocks you on the inside no Lord I refuse to I must encourage myself in the Lord that's the, uh, that's the third thing I hope that makes sense and you've got the, got the drift of what I would try to say there maybe that's longer than the other ones Okay. I came across this interesting little story I thought you'd like it uh, a church member said to a pastor pastor do you think that we can walk so carefully live so correctly and avoid every fanaticism so perfectly that every sensible person will say that is the kind of religion I believe in Pastor thought for a while. Sister, if you had a coat of feathers as white as snow and a pair of wings as shiny as Gabriel's, somebody would be found somewhere on the footstool of the throne with such a bad case of colour blindness, they'll shoot you for a blackbird. (laughs) 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 Number four, why must we encourage ourselves in the Lord? because discouragement achieves so little you know as well as I do when you don't feel too well you don't function well you know those kind of those grotty days you have you think I just don't feel very well today I'm just glad I'm in the study I'm not out visiting or I'm glad I'm not speaking I can sort of just hide away here and work through the day and think oh the day's over now let's have a good night's sleep when you are like that on the inside then it is very hard to be an encouragement to others because you are discouraged on on the inside and uh, I've come to realize that I mustn't go into the pulpit with question marks but I go with exclamation marks now I have my own question marks uh, and I have my own issues that I must deal with but God has not called me to be a minister of question marks He's called me to be a minister who goes in with the exclamation marks of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And there are times in our lives when we are discouraged and when we are really discouraged, the truth were known, we're not of much help to anybody. I mean, I I, I knew a pastor when I was in Swansea, uh, and he was probably the most honest man I ever knew in my life, but I don't think he was very helpful to his congregation. He'd go in and say, I've had a rotten... He'd start the service. Folks, I've had a rotten week, so if anything's going to happen today, it's got to be the Lord. Now let's sing our first hymn. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then one Sunday, one Sunday he said, the devil's really snitched me up this week. He said, anyone else been snitched up by him? <laughs> okay, let's try and praise God anyway. <laughs> well, sometimes we do feel snitched up. You know, and, and sometimes we've had a dreadful week. But, that doesn't help people and for me when I see people walking through the church door on a Sunday I think to myself who knows the kind of week you have had mm-hmm. you know and you see kind of I see people wandering into chapel and I think you know 
towards the end of his life Cameron Morgan became very very discouraged on himself so much so that he put a little square window in the vestry window at Westminster Chapel because he was fearful that no one ever come and hear him preach and he kind of looked through his little little glass window and thought there's somebody here today that's encouraging and the truth were known why should folk come and listen to us anyway who do you think they are you know we're not brilliant you know, no one's come knocking on my door going, I think we'd like to offer you a job with the BBC or the ITV because you're a great communicator. I mean, my neighbours don't even know what I do, generally speaking. You know, I do a bit of chatting and go away to church, but they're not there. We've got to go and hear him. So we're very, very ordinary people. Uh, and therefore, when people come to hear us, I, well, when I see a congregation, I go, well, thank you, Lord, you've trusted me with 50 tonight. 60, 70. That's very reassuring. Uh, and what are we here to do? not to pour negativity in people who drag themselves to come to church and say Lord I want to go home tonight thinking thank God I came mm. thank God I came and so when we are discouraged we're not of much help to other people and sometimes I have to say Lord I have my own discouragements but Lord may I leave them at the vestry door that I may come and encourage his people to keep walking with the Lord Jesus you may have heard of Edward Everett Hale an American writer. His father was the editor of the uh, of the Boston Globe. And uh, one day, a member of the public came into the office of the Boston Globe because one of his sub-editors had written an article about him that he didn't like, and he was hopping mad. So uh, he was fuming, and uh, and then he calmed down. This is what Nathan Hale said to him: "Calm yourself down. Not half the people." in the city of Boston take the paper and not half of those who take it read it and not half of those who read it saw that particular article about you and half of those who read it didn't believe it anyway <laughs> <laughs> and I, have you been in those situation? I was a pastor pastor a lot of folk in the church are very unhappy about what you've just done oh flippin' heck could you kind of clarify how many people well, we discussed it in our house group. Okay, that narrows the church down. How many folk in the house group? But well, to be honest, Pastor, it's just the wife and myself. <laughs> <laughs> and really, I think she's wrong, but I've got to speak for her. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know, I've been in those kind of situations. You you mean, so suddenly you see yourself kind of unemployed, sat in a big issue outside Marks and Spencer on a Monday, and they realise it's just one woman who's unhappy. <laughs> And, and when we are discouraged then we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord fifthly we must encourage ourselves in the Lord why? because we are those who live for eternity mm. we are eternity people uh, Christmas Evans is buried behind the railway station in Swansea and uh, anyone ever came to preach for me outside of Swansea I always took them to see Christmas Evans before they got on the train. And I said, let me tell you the final words of Christmas Evans before he went into eternity. Drive on, coachman. Drive on. It's a great thing, isn't it? I mean, he had the luxury of having someone who used to drive him around. Drive on, coachman. Drive on. And I have to say to myself, David, drive on because we're living for eternity. And, and we must encourage ourselves in the Lord because it's for eternity that we are living and uh, it's so easy is it, to be sort of bound by, by the things of time I mean, how, 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 how do you measure things eternally 
the man who led me to the Lord uh, not long after he preached I was 14 and he preached the gospel and, and I got saved uh, and I was very shy and I wanted to go and say that really helped me and I became a Christian but you know you may find it hard but I was very very shy I heard not long after his wife walked out on him mm. and not long after that he died of a brain tumor and you kind of think that man probably thought what a waste that was my marriage has come to naught and now I'm dying what on earth is that but little did he realise and I don't know how many folk he led to the Lord but through his word he brought me into the kingdom of God mm. and, and, and amazingly through me God has brought one or two people into the kingdom of God and kept one or two people on their feet how can you measure things by time mm. Uh, and if we're quite honest sometimes we sort of do we not we lie in bed and we think I don't know if I can hide much more of this you know a piano cruise just seem <laughs> you know it does seem appealing now and then uh, it'd, be a, it'd be a healthy piano cruise you know, and vegetables and carrots and none of this fat stuff yeah that's right yeah, bananas and strawberries nicked by a Ukrainian pastor's wife but <laughs> you know it is but you suddenly think no David you're not living for time you're living for eternity mm-hmm. and uh, I used to go to a Church of England school which which was torture for non-conformists <laughs> having to say the creeds and all those kind of things and uh, I'm praying all these kind of prayers teach us good Lord <coughs> to serve thee as thou deservest, deservest yeah to serve not to serve uh, yeah <laughs> okay and then, and then to do all this and not to ask for any reward <laughs> I don't believe that's biblical all of us serve God for reward it's rather altruistic to say I'm just doing this for the glory of God when he's promised us I'll give you rewards and uh, do do we not covet our father saying to us well done well done you've served me well Rabbi Duncan you know Rabbi Duncan he was, he was a Scotsman who looked like a, a rabbi and was fluent in Hebrew he said if there's one issue that I will take issue with when I stand before the Lord if he says to me well done you've got a faithful servant I will say to him I don't think you're right on that because I don't feel I've been a very good and faithful servant and none of us feel that we've been really really brilliant if we're honest but wouldn't it be great to stand before the Lord and he says you stuck to your post that's all I ask you to do and you waved the flag for my son well done well done uh, and when you think of it I'd rather go home in full harness than lying on a recliner on a piano cruiser really what a way to go home and so we must encourage ourselves in the Lord because why what 70 years in comparison to eternity and then finally we must encourage ourselves in the Lord why because when encouraged we can encourage others mm. remember Mr. Mr. Barnabas in the church the son of encouragement what a great nickname to have yeah uh, I've thought of a few kind of words I've had in my head about church members uh, and Barnabas hasn't been one of them <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard uh, a well-known preacher. I'm only telling you. I, I won't mention his name. Oh, come on. Uh, 
he said he used to play golf on a Monday morning with fellow ministers and used to write church members' names on the golf balls and then hit them. <laughs> I don't play golf. <laughs> I've never had any greens in my members ever, so I've never visited the greens either. But uh, imagine having a Barnabas in your midst. And that was the nickname the church gave him. We're going to call him Mr. Encouragement. Why? Because he encouraged people. There's a great story where, where John Wesley, on one occasion, he uh, he, he, he wrote a letter to uh, to a struggling minister, and he put a five pound note in. Uh, and the man wrote back and said, said to John Wesley, "You mean, thank you for your letter and for your notes of encouragement." Mm. <laughs> that sense of this man is for me, you know. And and mm. if I can keep other people going then I think it's worthwhile mm. and so here's David he encouraged himself in the Lord why? well because it's not him being discouraged because what's that going to do to the whole group of men that he's with even though they're against him and so David kept going in the Lord what is interesting is this right after this after it says he encouraged himself in the Lord it says he then sought out the priest and the ephod we have no need to go to a priest or to seek out the ephod to find out God's will. We have the Lord Jesus. We go to him. Mm. And the great thing about prayer, and you know, there are, there are different levels of prayer. You know that, I'm sure. I mean, sometimes you're in a prayer meeting, you think to yourself, that's a bedroom prayer. You shouldn't be praying it in the prayer meeting. Mm. And we all have different kinds of prayers. Mm. And what I find reassuring is that I can tell the Lord anything and he understands. Mm. Just say, Lord, this is pretty grotty at the moment, but I'm doing it for you. If left to me, Lord, my bags would be packed and the house would be on the market, but I'm doing this, Lord, for you. I once heard W.E. Sangster say, I've got the recording at home, he was preaching in the 1950s. He said, I sometimes wonder if the prayers that God really hears are those prayers that we don't want to pray. When we do get on our knees and say, Lord, I really don't want to pray. I'm finding it. I'm tired. I, I, I'm worn out. But I'm here because you asked me to pray. And Lord, I'm here to pray for my people. Would you please bless them? I think he's probably right. You know, sometimes we feel so strong and so good. I'm going to pray. God bless me. Oh, wonderful. Maybe the prayers that God really blesses when we say, Lord, in my spirit, I really don't want to be here. But I'm here for you and for your people that I may be an encouragement to them <coughs> and so David encouraged himself in the Lord let me just read something in closing I don't know how long I've spoken but it seems a long time to me uh, you may have to encourage me after all this <laughs> but, uh, remember the Christian Herald mm. some of you won't remember the Christian Herald you think that's kind of some trumpeter but it isn't anyway. the, it, used to, it used to be a paper boy for 50p a week you used to get out papers I used to deliver one Christian Herald. Mm. Uh, that person's probably in glory now. This comes out of the Christian Herald before it finished. Let me tell you about the young man who I feel could have been one of the greatest evangelists of the world. He was a regular preacher to the poor in and around London about a hundred years ago. There are many references to his preaching in his letters. One dated October the 13th, 1876. Last Monday I was again at Richmond and my subject was 
he has sent me to preach the gospel to the poor but whoever wants to preach the gospel must first carry in his own heart his favourite hymn was telling me the old old story of Jesus and his love and his favourite reading apart from the Bible was the works of Charles Haddon Spurgeon and in particular a book called Little Jewels the young man was born in Zender in Holland in 1853 his father was a Lutheran pastor after he left school in 1869 he started work for a firm of art dealers in The Hague in 1873 he had a chance to travel and move to London to Southampton Street he was a typical young businessman at the time you could see him any day in a formal suit and top hat walking from his lodgings in Kensington to the Strand he fell in love with Ursula Lawyer his landlady's daughter but she was already engaged and laughed at his obvious affection for her he turned to Jesus for consolation and found in him such spiritual blessing that he was soon helping the local Methodist minister by taking meetings in Turnham Green and Petersham the conviction grew that he should be a full-time evangelist mm -hmm. so in 1877 he returned to his native Holland to commence training for the ministry he found the academic demands of the theological college in Amsterdam too demanding and moved to a newly opened school for evangelists in Brussels he soon found great success in preaching to the poor by dressing like a peasant and living in their company he was concerned for their needs he washed their clothes he cared for the sick he consoled the dying and led them to Christ. His dress and methods were superbly Christ-like and undoubtedly incarnational in that he went down and out to win the lost. But the church leaders of the day would have nothing to do with him and forced him to leave the ministry. Eventually he lost his faith. He went back to the world of art dealing and tried his hand at a little painting. His name? Vincent van Gogh if he could paint as he did think how he might have preached mm. if he could depict a sunflower with such power on a canvas just think how well he would have proclaimed the son of God from the pulpit for me one of the saddest aspects of his life as an artist centers on the painting called the Bible it shows a Bible lying open at Isaiah 53 nearby is a candle that has gone out in front of the unused Bible is a novel, novel by Emile Zola Le Jeu de Vuivre it can be clearly read how regrettable it is when the light goes from the message of God's suffering servant and a novel shows us the way to the zest of life Vincent van Gogh said I must tell you that with evangelists it is the same as with artists there is an old academic school tyrannical men who were prejudice and conventions may God give us grace to support and encourage openly all evangelists who preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Mm. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And friends, we must do the same. Mm -hmm. There we are then. Amen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, really good. Yeah, really encouraged.